0: First question, what should I do if I see someone at work displaying coronavirus symptoms? So Paul, I don't know whether you want to to answer this one. Okay, old.
1: sure. Ultimately, I think this comes back to um, uh, an employee, employer's duty of care. Um, and whenever, whether whatever the uh, manifestation, if we have concerns, and I know many of the workplaces that you operate in will actually be closed already, so this is somewhat superseded. But if we have any concerns about somebody's well-being, um, then we should be taking action to ask them to. Obviously, get themselves checked out. Very mindful that some of you have maybe occupational health departments and the like, others are one man, uh, you're a one man HR operation. So um, I think it, to some degree it's superseded, but we have a responsibility to ensure that if we are concerned about somebody's well being and obviously their potential impact on others, is to um, suggest that they uh, uh, do actually take themselves off to. A, a medical practitioner, and likely at the moment, or dial 111 as the case may be. Um, but the reality is, we we should be proactive in, in in that way.
0: Thanks, Paul. The next next question we've got is: Do I need to close if someone with the coronavirus comes to work? Stephen, would you be able to respond to that one?
2: No, I don't think you need to close. Um, I agree with Paul uh, under the Health and Safety at Work Act. The duty of the employer is to do whatever is reasonably practicable to uh, make sure that the health, safety, and well being of their staff is protected. Uh, you would send the person home, probably disinfect any equipment they'd been using and touching, uh, but there's no need to close the workplace.
0: Okay, thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. This is the next question is a really, really popular one, one that many, many of us, um, many, many people have up, have been asking about and it's, how should I be supporting my staff who are working from home? So this one comes from HR, from line managers, many, many, many different organisations. Um, so, so perhaps Stephen, if I could stay with you for a moment.
2: Okay, well, lots of communication, uh, I would say daily communication um in all forms so emails and um, perhaps telephone conversations certainly um, all kinds of electronic meeting type arrangements uh, keep in touch probably good to bend over backwards to be seen to be doing so um being if you're working from home and you're alone and you're not used to it it can be very difficult and it can be very depressing and people need reassurance and they need to be reminded all the time that they are part of a team part of a group um, so i would say that's the main the main thing to do just keep thank on communicating you. thank you paul have you got
0: anything uh, that you'd like yeah, to yeah
1: to... I, I, again i'd concur with that i mean support is a very broad general term but it's uh, it is um about recognizing and there's lots of guidance out there about regular And indeed, daily updates using technology to share knowledge and information and platforms that are available to us um, and we're all becoming more acquainted with over recent times. Um, uh, and, And as I say, just really that dialogue that needs to be maintained. Importantly, I'd add as well. Um, whilst we have to maybe be the uh, custodians of holding the, uh, the, the the technology platforms we mustn't use a, the role of the line manager and make sure that that relationship doesn't break down and they take their responsibilities here too Um it's I, I, it's a balancing act as it is in many of your organizations to get that right um, but managers need to maintain the dialogue um, with their staff and not have HR overriding it so That balance isn't easy. We need to make sure the tools are available for that support, but managers use them as well.
0: I think that's a really good point. And I don't know about you, but uh, I feel as if I've been completely overburdened with with communication. (laughs) It it is just about getting the the right balance, isn't it? Because we we, we want to communicate, but sometimes um, over communication can be quite difficult to distill as well. And uh, What about uh, the, the next question? What are the employer's health and safety responsibilities when their staff are temporarily working at home? Stephen, is that one that you could answer?
2: Yeah, well it's no different um, in principle. Obviously the practice is very different. Um, again, you still are under a duty, a legal duty, to make sure that you look after within the bounds of reasonable practicability uh, the health and safety of people who are working from home. And they're most likely to be using computing equipment. They're most likely to be, therefore, the main concern would be display screen equipment and um, advice on the safe use of display screen equipment. This is something that can be done very easily uh, in terms of advice, just providing people with advice about how to do it safely. Um, There's no requirement for inspection or anything of that kind, and and they're not gonna get health and safety inspectors inspecting people's homes but within the, the broad principles it's just a question of advising people on how to do their work safely and that's straightforward.
0: Yeah Th- thank you Stephen and, and that's one of the, the the themes that has arisen also is about the actual equipment that staff are using in their in their homes um, which might not have been and I, I suppose it might not have been on the receiving end of some, quite such rigorous checks as perhaps those that might be undertaken in the workplace mm-hmm. um what, one of the questions uh, again quite quite repeatedly has been do I need to provide my staff with equipment for them to work at home you know for, for people that have been sent home um there, there is a presumption isn't there that many do have the equipment to be able to work effectively
2: it's a really boring boring answer, but I think it all depends on the nature of the work. Um, you know, if they require equipment in order to do their job, then yes, of course, you need to provide it. You can't expect them to pay for it for themselves, but much of the time it will just be very simple IT equipment, which people will have available, and there's certainly no need to provide that. And
0: of course, these are very unusual times.
2: Uh, very unusual times and again the requirement of the law is just to do what's reasonably practical it's not to be all seeing all knowing to remove all risk it's just to do what would be reasonably practical for the employer given the state of affairs given what they know uh, given the government advice and so on
0: absolutely so so it it really depends on, on what the equipment is available um um, yeah, and what that's the make, ca- What case
2: the by case. needed? Yeah, what what, what, what equipment is needed? Yes, yeah.
0: just just on that uh, health the health and safety theme, we we spoke um, a, a briefly about communication, and also one one of the key themes is is really, what should we be doing about both the physical and and mental health of our staff during this period?
2: Well, again, no different from usual. The the physical health. Um, is less likely to be an issue if people are based at home Um, mental health could be a bigger issue and again it's really a question of keeping in contact uh, communicating supporting um, informally one-to-one not just in group emails and things and Uh just taking it seriously and doing what you can to keep people going And, and there will be a huge amount of difficulty for some people
1: that this uh, whole area of physical and mental health totally I could hear what um uh, Stephen was saying I can wholly concur with what you're saying the thing is of course um, we need to understand as I said at the beginning some of you work in large organizations with a whole raft of infrastructure that can support that and maybe even have employee assistance type programs um, whereas many some of you are individuals uh, who are trying to cope with everything um, so it's reaching out and and I think uh, I'm not pandering to Stephen here but CIPD have got some great stuff online in terms terms of support um that that will help you with areas that you may be unfamiliar with whether it be mental health or physical well-being so i just wanted to add that comment to what to what Stephen's saying EIPs are great if you're a large big organization um but really don't underestimate what's available already online and uh, daunting some of it and, and and in that area in particular
0: yeah i, th- I think the uh there's there's some fantastic resources now available um to help both employers and individuals in in um, i I suppose enduring these these unusual times um and and mind for example have produced some some very helpful guidance which um we're, we're going to share with you at the end so we've got a number of resources that we can share right at the end what happens if I have a member of staff who is identified as vulnerable and high risk, Stephen?
2: Well, again, um, I would say go home. Um, they shouldn't be working. If they're one of these, particularly if they're one of those 1.5 million people who've been identified by the government as being very high risk um, for various, which is because they have serious underlying medical conditions, they certainly shouldn't be leaving their, ha- their homes at all. Um, there's no reason why they can't work from home but they should be completely self-isolating. And certainly it would be the responsibility of the employer to make sure that that was the case. So yeah, no, they shouldn't be leaving their homes, let alone coming into any workplace.
0: Okay, thank you. And and, and this this next question is is, is around the issue of, of trying to, to work from home, um, <laughs> which of course is, is, is increasingly challenging for those who um, are living with families who are also trying to work from home or children also working from home so the question is some of my staff are finding it difficult to concentrate on work they've got to look after their children what what mm. should I do
1: I think the reality was, uh, the the follow-up to that is the the flexibility that's necessary. Um, Some people are going to be needing to be working um, when the kids have gone to bed (laughs) or before they get up and we have to make allowance for that. Um, And it's not just children of course, it's it's, uh, caring for other elderly people in the home maybe or or whatever. the key word has got to be if ever there was the flexible working came into its own it's now and and what we've got to also be careful of though um, and i know when you talk to people who work flexibly is they tend to extend their working day i know some people will abuse it but the majority i think are responsible Mm
2: -hmm. and as
1: a consequence i think you know if you are getting emails at 11 o'clock from people who work for you remind them that actually the working day is whatever it is um, Mm, and mm. uh, they can't expect you to be responding at 11 o'clock or or colleagues to be responding at 11 o'clock so it's reminding people everybody's working flexibly to to cope with their own personal situation and we've got to recognize that
0: sure I, i i think that's really good advice paul um stephen would you like to add anything there
2: well no this is i mean it is it's just going to be difficult it's going to be challenging um, these are you know, some of the issues that will arise and you just have to work around them as best you can. You have to be very pragmatic and yes, give as much flexibility as as is possible. Yeah,
0: thank Thank you. Thank you to you both. Yeah, so, it, so we're talking about reasonable adjustments for staff who have a disability.
2: Okay, well it really depends on the out. disability. Um, that's a very broad question and the nature of reasonable adjustment is that it's individual and it also depends to a great extent on the size resources of the employer. So the larger employer, the big public sector corporation, well-resourced HR department so on, is expected to do a lot more than a small corner shop. I mean, it very much depends on the particular disability in the particular situation. Uh, but yes, I mean, the, the requirement to take account of adjustment remains just the same in this situation as in ever situa- any situation. Um, mm-hmm. So, if making adjustments to working hours, to the way work is done, to the rules that you apply, and so on, would help someone with a disability to continue working, well, then you are obliged to give that serious consideration and bring it in if you can.
0: Thanks, Stephen. Okay, so those were the the key. Sorry, Paul, did you want to add something there?
1: No, no, no.
0: Okay, thank you. Those are the key questions that we wanted to ask. Um, So those that we've received from from, um, a variety of people who are attending today or those that want to listen to the recording on health and safety. So as I said at the beginning, what I've tried to do is group them according to the themes. The next theme that we're going to look at is internal communications. Um, So a, a few questions here. And again, if you do have any questions that you'd like to ask Stephen and Paul during the course of this session, please do type them into the text box, and we can interweave them into our discussion. So, so please, please do keep communicating with us. So, um Paul, if I can ask you, is it yeah. okay, is it okay for me to phone my staff when they're working at home?
1: Absolutely. Uh, absolutely it is (laughs) i mean uh, i'm just wondering whether uh, the alternative is smoke signals really we've got to maintain (laughs) a dialogue um with staff working at home both in order to do the work obviously get work done in as much efficient a way as possible but also to ensure that we're maintaining contact and ensuring that we are showing the necessary levels of uh, concern and interest in their well-being etc so it's it's double-edged it, it, we've got to get on with work as best we can and uh, phoning is probably one of the most effective ways of getting a response and we've all got very familiar with other ways of uh, communicating over recent uh, weeks but uh, absolutely fine to do that
0: thank you um, the next question is uh, <laughs> what should i be communicating to staff <laughs> I so think we should be communicating with staff. But the question is, what should I be communicating to staff?
1: Well, that is, again, I think Stephen commented earlier that very broad. Um, I think you've got to uh, well, there's there's the work dimension and obviously you need to keep them up to date and that notion of a daily update about you know what's happening in the business stuff or, or whatever um i.e. the stuff that they pick up at the water cooler or the coffee machine mm. um, so there's a sort of a dialogue that's one facet there's obviously the needs of the job whatever they may be um, and then there's the wider issues that we've been talking about already I mean there is so much information uh, anything particularly pertinent to your workplace or your workforce otherwise they're going to be inundated um, so it's probably certain I'm doing that off the top of my head but segmenting it in that way is probably uh, um, a way forward um, I, I don't know whether Stephen would want to add something to that i
2: I think um a lot of transparency i'd say daily daily communication yeah um, yeah. in which you say exactly what you're doing what the decisions that you are still are still pending but even though you may not have made a decision about something say you know you haven't made a decision yet but you are in the process of doing you keep everyone in the loop as much as you possibly can i think um communication about the future and you're trying to put out reassuring messages about the future and about the continuation of the organisation, continuation of the projects that people are working on. And then lots of informal communication as well. So a formal, going to everybody, but informal individual team leaders keeping in touch with their staff. Again, I think that's very helpful and very useful. Just checking they're okay, not every day, but regular emails, phone calls, um, group meetings. Try and keep as best you can, keep everyone in the loop, knowing what's happening, reassured, knowing they're being supported all of these
1: things and i would only add what the comment i made earlier um is to make sure as well you as hr professionals or practitioners don't assume up the whole responsibility and make sure you're making good use of line managers a to take some of the burden but also maintain that very strong and important link between staff and 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 uh, the manager so a balance on those things
0: yeah, I, I think that's really good advice. Thank you both. I think from an organizational department on or an individual level, it's worth just thinking about the, the way in which we communicate. I think the, the other thing that I'm, I might just add there is that the sensitivity of communications, because if people are working at home, I think it probably is a, a good reminder to all about the way in which we communicate with people and perhaps if, if things, um, uh, have irritated us we might we might think ab- about the way in which we might communicate a little bit more sensitively perhaps um as, as people um are, are working in their homes they're communicating with their their colleagues in their homes with their families and sometimes the the, the messages we receive might might be received in, in in perhaps um not not such a a reasonable way in, in which perhaps they might have done in in other in an an organizational climate so it's just i think reiterating the fact that communication needs to be sensitive on all all levels
1: good point
0: we're using online platforms to take the place of meetings but some Mm -hmm. of our staff are not able to take part either because they're not willing to or because they don't have the right equipment now this is a really big issue isn't it for for many many different organizations both large and smaller ones so what should i do
1: paul <laughs> thank you um <laughs> uh, i suppose there's again understanding the question better because they are not willing to is is that because they don't like technology or they don't like uh, the notion of being intruded upon I don't really know because for many people this is a whole new experience Um, obviously I think you need to sell the benefits as best you can of maintaining a dialogue um, and, and using those online platforms if it is a reticence to use technology a bit of coaxing if it's just the practicalities of trying to manage a home at the same time is putting in place maybe alternative means by which key messages from meetings or online meetings are conveyed in another format i mean it does depend on why there's a lack of willingness of course um they don't have the right equipment um i think realistically and i know techie but i think really need no more than a mobile smartphone these days to uh, communicate um, these do get overburdened of course um, but if people are still relying on a, a Nokia 3310 or something I suppose it could be a challenge um, but uh, I, you know that depends on what you mean by the right equipment it, it doesn't have to be that sophisticated sophisticated um, to be able to participate as far as I am aware
2: <laughs> yeah well I'm one of these people um, because uh, when we started doing this a couple of weeks ago, I was reluctant to use. I had no idea what Google Meets was. I had no idea what Zoom was. Uh, I've had a very fast learning curve the last fortnight, um, <laughs> and I think I've benefited from it, and it's, it's been very good for me. So I would say that you can make the case that it's be of interest to and learn comes these comes things, and so they're uh, not uh, actually uh, that difficult.
1: No, and, and I think the other thing is, uh, if people are reticent because of a, a technology fear, um, I think the coaxing element can be, as we all know, it's a great way of keeping in touch with family and friends as well. So it's a double-edged benefit. It's not just to get work done if that's the reticence.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you to the thank you to you both for for your 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 useful advice in in that in response to that question i'd like to move on now to sickness pay as you can imagine we had lots and lots of questions on sickness pay um stephen can i ask you this first question do i have to pay my staff um actually this one isn't about sick pay so this is about no, pay really, generally no. the, yeah. the first one do i have to pay my staff an additional expenses allowance for working at home i think the uh the feeling was staff were thinking whether they could claim for their lunches etc because they're in works time
2: well, there's no legal requirement to do so um in terms of, sort of just general things like lunch and things obviously there's some major event somebody is required to um, fund out of their own pocket um for example new and new equipment or something, and they're required to do that, well, then, best there would be um, under under the, the duty to indemnify a um, general implied term in contract uh, that you would need to um, recompense them at some stage. But no, for sort of general day to day expenses, electricity, telephone, and so on, isn't a legal requirement to do so, as I understand it. But that doesn't mean that it's not a good thing to do. Um, but it's not a it's something that would have to be decided as a matter of management judgment uh, how much would be appropriate and so on thanks
1: Stephen um, when Steve, Steve says management judgment i think that's the thing we need to think in terms of this the messages we send to our staff at the current time it's balancing cost against being as cooperative and supportive as we can I'm I'm sure Stephen is absolutely right there's no legal obligation to make additional payments um, but it's recognizing the more we build the relationship with staff through this and support them the better the long term for the organization and its culture fine words I know um, they have a cost but maybe there's some sort of sometimes it's just gesture politics to say look we recognize there's additional costs and we're doing x amount into your pay packet but no obligation but these, these small gestures can be quite important down the line perhaps so yeah. uh, again i'm only too aware that lots of businesses are really struggling financially
0: yeah th- th- thanks paul i think uh yeah aiding retention and engagement going forward um perhaps that, that that's a point we might come back to when yeah. we look at on look looking forward but yeah great advice thank you um, what happens if I need my staff at work and they refuse because they're worried about catching the virus?
2: Mm-hmm. Stephen. Okay, well, if you're practicing social distancing and you're, you have provided a safe working environment for people, well, then you can require them to come to work. Um, if, however, you're not doing that, and there is a risk of them catching the virus, well, that's a, a different matter. You have to be extremely careful. So I think it really depends on the nature of the work and how safe the workplace is. If the workplace can be kept safe, um, and that you're clear about that, then then people do have to come to work unless they're in one of the categories that we've been talking about.
0: Yeah, that's great, thank you. I mean, this is quite, we necessarily have to be quite generic in our responses to some of these questions because we don't have enough detail, but uh, yeah, thank you for that next question some of my staff are self-isolating for more than seven days how do we obtain evidence if they're self-isolating longer than this so i th- guess this refers to the fit note and whether we're still yeah. requiring fit notes
1: i don't oh, think there's do like? many do- sorry I, I don't think there's many doctors who are going to entertain too much readiness to uh, provide fit notes in the current climate i think they've got enough work on their hands um, the, 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 the legal position may be one thing, and it's the practical position that we need to adopt um, and uh, evidence can only, as I understand it, come from a doctor and are we really going to burden doctors? Having said that, it may be the case that doctors have set up mechanisms to enable that to be made available by some means. I, I, I really don't know, but I think you've got to take a pragmatic response to to these situations. They are unique. Um, and clamping down on somebody because they can't get a doctor certificate or evidence, I think is (laughs) ill-advised.
2: Well, actually, there's there's also now, because of the furlough arrangement, quite Mm. an incentive for people not to be doing this, but to be furloughed. Uh, If somebody, uh, I mean, you get 80% of your salary if you're furloughed, you only get £94 a week if you're doing SSP. So actually, maybe the opposite problem will will be the issue that people should be should be um, getting SSP because they're self-isolating uh, will actually be not wanting their employer to know that um, because they'd rather get the, the the much higher rate that they will get from being furloughed. Really good
1: point, Stephen.
0: Yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah, and and that takes us very nicely on to the next question, which is, do I have to pay staff that's self-isolating? So I think that's a really interesting one.
2: Meet. Yeah. Well, no, the answer is um, that no, you you have to pay SSP to someone who's self-isolating. Um, you uh, don't have to pay a salary and that's <laughs> been made pretty clear by the government recommendations, but mm-hmm. government regulations.
0: Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. Um, and final question in terms of this section, do I need to pay an employee that needs to take time off work to look after someone else? Stephen,
2: should we stay with you just for a moment? Uh, no, um, I don't think so. Uh, no. Again, normal, no. the normal rules apply. Nothing, nothing's changed in that respect. Again, it might Basically. be wise, wise to, in terms of maintaining good employment relationships for the future, have some sort of scheme in place. But I don't think that uh, the, the the law hasn't changed in respect of time off for working, uh, time off to look for, for looking after dependents. And
0: no, I'm sure that's true. Okay, thank you. So, okay, so that sums up that section. Final section on the theme of questions <clears> is about <throat> the temporary closure, temporary closure of the workplace, and one of the questions is here: I need to close my workplace, and the nature of my work does not allow people to work from home. So, can I lay them off, Stephen?
2: Yeah. Well, yes. Again, there are there are two possibilities here one is a, a temporary layoff again that's a long established area of law which allows an employer to say to somebody there isn't any work for you to do for a period of time i'm going to effectively send you on unpaid leave and uh, there's various restrictions on when and how that can happen and at what point someone can claim a redundancy payment and so on but um, there's that possibility but uh, we now do have this new scheme that's come in over the just very very rapidly introduced by the government, which is deliberately intended to try and avoid that from happening, whereby the employer can pay 80% of salary, uh, or can reclaim 80% of salary, uh, up to 2,500 pounds a month from the government. So you would probably, if you could furlough, this is the name that they've given to this, you would furlough your employees, rather than lay them off, because the whole point of furloughing is to avoid redundancy and it's an extraordinary new scheme that's been introduced remarkably quickly for that very purpose.
0: Thank you Stephen. Paul, would you like to add anything there?
1: uh, Not really, no. I think uh, the only question, I I, I think, do you, Stephen, just do you need to have a layoff provision within your, not that anybody's going to stand on ceremony here, do you need an explicit layoff provision within your contract to be able to do it? Having said that, that, Right. OK. That was just.
2: No, you just have to okay. follow various procedures in terms of yeah. writing and the wording you use. And
1: Yeah. OK. No, no nothing further to add on it. Um, Stephen's definitely the expert on that one.
2: <laughs> and
0: our listeners will probably uh, have, have heard also about the arrangements for those that are self-employed yeah. as well, if that... Um, applies to you i'm I'm just uh, having a look at some of the 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 questions coming in on the text box is furlough based on contracted hours or on an average of what someone may work over and above their contracted hours do we know
2: as i understand it it's based on actual hours worked in the last tax year so it's you're meant to average um from last april um, to work out what the actual hours that somebody's worked have been and then you work it out from that.
0: Thanks Stephen. And how do we find out if positions are eligible for furlough? some of our roles are government funding, funded sorry, they work for a charity?
2: Well um, again I'm not a hundred percent sure but I don't think there's any difference. So it's still eligible for furlough if it's government funded.
0: Thank you. Another question, what are the HR implications for reducing employer contributions to pensions? If some employees would need to increase their own in that event?
2: Okay, I guess this is if you're moving to 80% of pay, would the pension contribution also reduce by an equivalent amount? I, I think that may be the suggestion. Again, I would have thought that would be a contractual Question: To so depend what the nature of the contract you had with the employee was, and what the rules of your pension scheme stated. I don't think that's really covered in the new law, particularly. Certainly I haven't read it if it is.
0: And, and and a great question here. How how do we keep our workforce engaged during the quarantine? <laughs> that's a huge question
1: isn't it mm-hmm. um absolutely um and and i think uh, the whole notion of engagement um it is uh, going to raise to the top of the agenda quite um uh, uh aggressively over the coming weeks and months but i think the thing is um what we've been talking about um already is the whole notion of of, uh, engagement being based on communication effective communication is central to it i mean there's an interesting um one or two of the students may have heard me talk about it what the only comparable experience we had to this was the 09 0809 crash and that was really tested that phrase that many of you have in your company handbooks people are our most important asset um and uh, in brackets until it suits us he says cynically um and and but some big organizations did some great stuff at that time um to display that they were committed to their people with whom they've invested and i think uh, kpmg is a great example from that era where they really did say look we've got a problem we've got no work we don't want to lose you Um, and help us so it's a dialogue that needs to be maintained and because of what KPMG did at that time interestingly the following year uh, their engagement scores went significantly up because they actually held true to their commitment about being an important asset. So it's, it's a dilemma, um, but central to effective community. For those who've done the employee engagement uh, module, as many of you will have done, is that communication and reinforcement of the importance of the individuals and their contribution um without actually undermining of course the role of, of line managers in this and and uh, maybe we'll come on to talk more about um, how we can engage line managers in the process as well because they're central i mean engagement is about uh a, in this climate not only this but in this climate in particular that dialogue and a real commitment and support and consideration for well-being and health um it's not about i don't suppose many people are coming through the door asking you for pay rises at the moment put it that way
0: that's a really good point for thank you stephen is there anything else you'd like to add there
2: no i think we've we've really covered this a lot it's it's about effective communication and it's often informal it's individual team leaders Um, keeping in contact with their individuals, listening to them, um, taking account of what they say, keeping up a dialogue, all the normal things, you're just doing it in more trying circumstances.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll perhaps come on to talking what we can do about focusing on engagement as we move forward in just a few moments. Um, Another (coughs) question here, can you temporarily redeploy employees to other areas of the organisation? for example our events team can they help out with marketing and comms um yeah, in order yeah. to help with their workload so re- redeployment whilst in 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 this um current situation uh,
1: very simply yes i think is the answer um you know within reason um within the, the normal um capabilities that people have and whether they're sensibly equipped to to do the revised role it's making good use of resources um and uh, i think You know, redeployment is potentially an option in areas where, you know, there's probably not a lot of work going on in uh, um, certain parts of the business, whether that be marketing or whatever it is. Maybe I'm wrong there, but uh, yeah, redeploy um, within the the range of the skill set and ensuring that they, you know, fully supported in that transition.
2: Yeah, I agree
1: yeah
0: thank you and and the the second second part of the question is looking at would this require a temporary amendment to t's and c's terms and conditions
1: Uh, to be honest uh, i don't think you need to get hung up on uh, the necessary paperwork to make a change it's mutual agreement one would hope and not enforced Um, and i think in this climate to worry unduly about uh, supportive paperwork is uh, uh, in a practical sense not really necessary albeit in an ideal sense one should always uh, cross the t's and dot the i's i don't think uh, it's necessary in these circumstances um you know we like, they, they if they're happy to do it um and for a period of time as yet undefined um it, it, i don't see people standing on ceremony wanting a a written change to their terms and conditions
0: no i i agree paul i think this is a a, pra- a time for pragmatism and i think yeah. That sensible conversation with people was probably um, yeah. the best way forward. Thank you. Um, I've got another question here. Regarding furlough leave, what obligations um, are there for employees? For example, can they go back to their country for an unlimited period of time?
2: <laughs> they can't get there, can they?
0: Oh no, I don't <laughs>
1: <know>. <laughs> I think
0: that's possible at the moment. <laughs> there yeah,
2: that, that, that would be no problem in principle with someone going abroad and being furloughed.
0: So that, again, that comes back to the sort uh, of pragmatics of actually being able to um, to get there. But um, in in terms of the, the 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 obligations that 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 Stephen's saying should be fine.
2: I don't think you have to keep in constant touch with someone who's furloughed. Um, it may be sensible to do so, but if they're not actually working, so they're basically um, they are basically being laid off. although with um, an allowance that you're paying them. Um, I don't think there's any obligation to constantly keep in touch with them and I don't think there's a problem with them going abroad.
0: Uh uh Um, how, How would we go about informing employees that we would like to or are putting them on furlough?
2: Well it's meant to be with agreement yeah. so you contact them and say this is what we'd like to do and then you get their agreement you are likely to get it if the alternative is that they will be laid off it's yeah. in their oh. interest to accept so it shouldn't be too difficult
0: sure and is, is there a need for a written agreement
2: i don't think so but it'd probably be wise to have an email exchange just yeah, so that you've got the records yeah
0: the, the the final area that we'd like to look on uh, sorry, look at today. Is moving forward because um, quite a lot of our focus at the moment is is reactive to the current situation but it's actually a good idea now for us to take stock and think about what should i be doing to plan for the recovery phase and although this might be not something that's on your mind at the moment let's have a chat with paul and stephen to get a sense of what perhaps we might start thinking about so Um, Stephen, if I can go to you first
2: of all. Yeah, well I I think this is important and I think it may be not at the forefront of people's minds but it's going to be something we have to start thinking about. Um, There are all kinds of potential different futures, we don't know when this is going to come to an end, whether it will be a, uh, a steady, slow reducing of the restrictions or whether it will happen much more quickly. Either way, I think it's just sensible to think through the different contingencies uh, and begin the process of planning. Now, it may be that you can't put in very firm, clear plans, but I think it is sensible um, for HR and for uh, other leading managers just to give it consideration, think about the possibilities and start the process of planning.
1: I, uh, I think I'd, I'd only add to that. I think um, there's a... Um, as an impolite phrase um that i'll make more polite by saying when you're up to your neck in alligators it's often very difficult to see the bank um and and that is <laughs> inevitable i cannot imagine what it's like operating in the corporate environment trying to handle the the raft of information to actually set aside uh, time to think about what do we do afterwards but it's critical and key so it's almost a question of actually saying slot aside time in your diary say what does this mean for us as a business and <laughs> I don't want to use the analogy too closely but you know we know when organisations have major upheaval and we often refer to uh, you know, large-scale redundancies um, that we use the term and as I say, I'm not being facetious here of survivor syndrome and understanding that the impact that's had on the emotions of the people who remain well Hopefully, most of your organisations won't have large-scale redundancies, but you are going to have to recover from a traumatising experience, I think. Um, and 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 in a practical sense, we need to start to think in that terms. I mean, it's the only analogy we can draw. When you've had some major restructure upheaval, the damage that's done to uh, confidence, morale, and all of those things, and start to think, what would we do if it were a redundancy or similar? And it may that may be the case as well and start thinking about you know how do we bring people back do we do we phase them back do we bring them back when we come back do we set up team briefings do we set up you know, it, it much hinges on the culture of your organization but it's setting aside maybe an hour a week to actually start to engage with your senior management colleagues um, and get them thinking about it um, and so and I know they'll probably say haven't we got enough to deal with at the moment Absolutely understand that. But what we don't want, um, and and let's hope it's weeks not months, is that we come back Monday morning and big sigh and oh, now what do we do? I think the planning phase that you refer to, Kay, is critical and I know it's easy for me to say, but just to Uh, At whatever level you're operating, whether you're the HR practitioner, just chat with your CEO or your MD and say, "Look, we need to set aside time to think about this with senior management colleagues." If you're part of a larger corporation uh, and you're maybe less senior, then you might not—you might contribute to that conversation, but not lead it.
0: Yeah. Thank. Thank you. Thank you to Paul and Stephen. Though I think it's a the current situation is going to have a big impact on the future of work generally
2: sure. um, and
0: it, it would seem to me such a, a shame if we can't crystallize on some of the skills that our staff in in all sorts of organizations are acquiring to take them forward and it perhaps might open us up to all sorts of different opportunities going forward in perhaps the way work is structured and the flexibility that perhaps we some organizations might not have thought that they were able to offer when actually they found different ways of working which could be um, hugely helpful Um, and we spoke earlier about staff engagement and it could perhaps be um, an essential part of actually taking forward organizations into as we talk about industry 4.0, um you using this situation as an enforced agile working um, test almost.
1: Yeah, very valid point,
2: Kate.
0: Okay. Okay. Um final question whilst we're here, do we have a do we have to pay office related expenses whilst people are working from home? So so this, this is relating to um the the point where people when they're working from home um, talking about heating laptops they've had to purchase yeah. whether or not they're going to be reimbursed i think i think we, we yeah. spoke about this earlier no, I, um, I
2: think the position there is that if it's a single significant item then yes there would be a duty for the employer to uh, repay if it was done with permission and you've got receipts and so on, but for things just like heating and just a general day to day. Expenses around the home. I don't think there is a requirement.
0: Okay, Thank you so much. Any final points from Stephen that you'd like to make.
2: No, I think that we've covered a, a huge amount of ground. I'm sorry, so many of the questions are very general and it's usually helpful to have examples and specifics, but hopefully we've been able to give you some advice anyway.
0: Thank you, Stephen. Final thoughts from Paul.
1: Yeah, just, just one really, and point I made a note of earlier. Again, many of you do, doing your studies and uh, it's about translating. <laughs> Uh, the the academic back into the, the work environment, and I, I just point you to, you know, we all handle these things in very different ways. Some get quite emotional. Some people seem to ride through it without too much. And and just reflecting on some of the classic uh, change management models was not a bad idea. And we we're all familiar, or many of you are familiar with the Kubler Ross and and the Fisher models. Reminding ourselves of the experience and trying to empathise with people at different stages in that. Uh, cycle and of course it is a cycle with at this point no defined end but basically you know translate that and try and maybe we can use it as an opportunity for education i know it sounds a bit grand but you know those models are there to help us understand human behavior um and 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 maybe reflecting back on them I, I, you know kubler ross many familiar with um and and i say the fisher model translates more into the work environment but actually that might help some of your managers too and I don't think we should underestimate the impact of this on managers uh, in trying to manage a very strange environment for them um, and maybe struggling um, and and dealing with people who are similarly struggling. Those sort of tools are worth reflecting back on I think and uh, as I say they're not just academic they're practical uses as well.
0: I think that's a really good point, how HR can be effectively supporting managers in in this current climate, um, as well as staff. I think that's a really, really good point. Thank you, Paul. Finally, we've spoken about a number of resources that might be of help to you. you. So we've included these in the slides from Health and Safety Executive, from the CIPD, the NHS might well send these slides to you uh via the acacia office so that you have those as a reference point but finally from me thank you so much for taking the time to join us today we hope that we've been able to answer some of your questions please do keep in touch stay safe and well thank you goodbye